following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. He has, he has said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness most gladly then i will rather glory in my weakness that the power of christ may dwell in me for this reason i am well content in weakness in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I may be weak, then I am strong. Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. The Apostle Paul said he was strong in his weakness. Thomas Merton, one of my favorite authors, wrote, I can depend less and less on my own power and sense of direction as if I ever had any. But the Lord supports and guides me without my knowing how, more and more apart from my own actions and even in contradiction to it. We live in a world consumed by success by a desire to be somebody, by a desire to see accomplishments. But as we come to Jesus, we learn another way. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let's pray. Lord, I come to bring a message today of spiritual power. But it is not spiritual power that pleases the flesh. It is your spiritual power. And I pray as I share this message that you will deal with the heart of every person, every person listening now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I've always been driven by a desire to be successful. To be able to accomplish things. I have often measured my worth by how much I could accomplish. This grieves my heart deeply because I know in the kingdom of heaven it's not what i can accomplish or what i can do it's how i can submit to jesus christ and allow him to bring forth his glory i'm going to share with you some words and thoughts from a pastor in the mid 1800s his name was gd watson He writes, in order to have the abiding secret of power, we must consent to seeming failure for Jesus. I do not know how that thought may strike you, but if you will look at the great crisis events in the Bible and in the lives of the people of great faith, you will find over and over again that the sweep of power turned on the pivot of a perfect willingness to fail utterly 
in the eyes of the world. And I would add that it's not only in the eyes of the world that we must be willing to appear as a complete failure. It is also in the eyes of our friends, our family, our church. And often this will involve severe judgment, reprimand, rebuke, reproach. But if we're going to walk in the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in ministry, there must be a perfect willingness to utterly fail in the eyes of everyone but Jesus. This is a terrifying message. I am confounded by the absolute lack of concern among Christians as well as pagans about what God thinks or what God feels. We are so focused on how we feel and what we think and what our reputation is that we will sacrifice everything and everyone to our own standards And in this place, there is no true spiritual power. Those who work with God cannot truly be failures. But there are times when from our standpoint and from our feelings, everything seems to fail utterly. And our quiet acquiescence in such apparent failure for Jesus' sake while it closes the valve on the human creature side, it opens the divine side for the inflow of the energy that moves the universe. It is very easy for even sanctified souls to become attached to their work and to want to succeed as if it were their work. It is so easy for devoted persons running churches, camp meetings, conventions, faith homes, missions, any spiritual enterprise to become greatly attached to the enterprise itself and to have an overweening desire for success. But a close analysis of the heart will often reveal the fact that the craving for success is because we are putting ourselves in the affair. And the Holy Spirit who searches all things finds out the terrible secret that after all, it is self that wants success. So many times I have seen in my own life and in the lives of those close to me that the Holy Spirit's secret delving into our hearts discovers that it's really about us and not about Jesus. And I would ask you today as you listen to Pilgrim's Progress Is your heart truly for Jesus? 
or is your heart truly for your own standing for the respect of others for the expectation of others oh if I don't maintain this I cannot accomplish what I want to accomplish is there a casualness about the feelings of God and an intense desire to protect your own feelings because it's too painful to deal with the reality of a selfish spirit, a judgmental spirit. And so we hide in the in the sunlight of I want everything for Jesus. But in truth, the Holy Spirit has found that the kernel at the heart of it is just selfishness. We all like to be identified with successful enterprises. And when someone takes an action or speaks words that offend it's very easy for us to turn in bitterness and walk away. Because there is that inner kernel of truth that it's not really about Jesus. It's about my own independence. It's about my own life. It's not about Jesus. It's about me and mine, ours. Now, anyone who passes judgment on another person only does so because they think they're right. And because they think they're right, their judgment is justified, and their actions resulting from that judgment they call righteous. Unfortunately, when we dig deeper under that judgment, we find coldness, hardness. We don't find a heart melted into Jesus. Instead, we find pride. Are you willing to be a complete failure for Jesus? Now, in order that God may get all the glory, he must blister the fair face of seeming success. He must find ways to make us die to ourselves in our work, and then he can accomplish results greater than we ever dreamed of. I've experienced the blistering of the National Prayer Chapel. And some will walk away and say, I can't be a part of that. Some will walk away and say, Pastor Ray's lost it. I can't be a part of that. Why? Well, it's because that inner kernel of pride rules 
And that inner kernel of pride is usually coming out of a a determination that we will maintain our life and our integrity according to our understanding and an absolute refusal of all failure. And then Jesus has to come into your life and blister your life. And we can see that then in all kinds of effects that begin to take place. The prayer closet becomes smaller and smaller and squeezes us until we finally stop praying. Another effect is we begin to see judgments from God come into our lives. Promises that he's made us are not kept. He promises that a certain time, certain things will happen. Those things don't happen, and we wonder, why not? God's word said they would happen. Well, we've got to go back and look at whether there is a part of our heart that is hard and judgmental, angry, bitter. We have to look very carefully at Do I refuse to be a failure? And do I refuse to be a part of something that I view as a failure? Jesus does not want us to get wedded to his work instead of to him. My identity is not found in Pilgrim's Progress Radio. I love coming I love ministering to you. I love speaking the truth to you. I love seeing you respond with gentleness and love and growing in the Spirit. But I'm not wedded to Pilgrim's Progress. If the Lord chooses to turn you away from Pilgrim's Progress and the financial support does not come for this radio broadcast... And I have to just quickly report, when I went off air the last day of June, we were $800 short of our goal for June. One radio listener, a dear brother, gave a check for $1,000, and radio is covered for the month of June. That was God's grace. Without that, we would be off the air. You see, I'm not wedded to success. I'm wedded to Jesus Christ. Likewise, if people do not come to the National Prayer Chapel, if the National Prayer Chapel were to die, and I knew that was God, I would let it go because I'm not wed to the National Prayer Chapel. I've served gladly as their pastor. I've seen much growth in the lives of many people. But my life is not about Pilgrim's Progress, and my life is not about the National Prayer Chapel. The cry of my heart is for revival in America. I'm wedded to Jesus Christ and his desire to save the lost and the dying. 
but there's a real block to saving the lost and the dying, and that block is the church. The church is the block to revival. Why would I say that? Because the church is wedded to success. The church is wedded to respect, respectability. The church is wedded to the world. So we can use the world's music. We can use the world's means. We can bring entertainment. We can bring every wicked thing into the body of Christ. And it's okay. I can't tell you how my heart hurts today with dear brothers that I love. But when I'm with them, all they can talk about are the games they're watching on television. Now, these are men who've walked with Jesus for 30 or 40 or 50 years. But there is a, a casualness. There is a an abundance of resources in their lives. They have their retirements and they have their salaries and they have all that they need. They have their grandkids. They have, they have their life. Of course, they have to visit the doctor a lot because most of them are older. Their social life is at the doctor's office. But there is a casual disregard for God's feelings and for the cause of Christ in the world. There's no no burning desire. They are wedded to success. I love them, but they're about success and comfortability and and vacations and and sports and watching the latest game and talking about it and talking about the, the guys that are playing and giving their stats and grieves the heart of God. I am attracted to people that seem to be failures, but who are in Christ, hidden in righteousness. I love to people be with people who have humble hearts, who are not self-righteous, who are willing to lay down their lives, who do not pass judgments lightly or quickly on gossip instead of on facts. I like to be with people like that. Now, the church would not call some of those people righteous because all of their actions don't line up with what the church thinks they should line up with. But oh, how they love and how they give and how they pray and how they humble their hearts before God. I love those kinds of people. We're so frail that even after we're sanctified and we've had our depravity purged away so that we're no longer fornicating or going to strip clubs, we're no longer looking at pornography, we're no longer stealing or lying or cheating, we're no longer walking in anger and pride, 
even after all of that, we are so weak that my experience is that God has to keep my wings clipped or I would fly away into my own deal. A great many do jump off the path. Oh, they take their religion with them off their path. They take their self-righteousness with them on their journey. And they say, oh, now I'm just following Jesus. Really? Separate from the body of Christ. I'm following Jesus, just having a good time doing my deal. Really? That's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of Christ. It's the way of the pride of my, of man. The man that never feels he has anything to boast of in his work, but always looks at the work as being nothing to his credit, is the one who is always at the point where he is willing to be counted a failure in the eyes of men. I mean, just read the record of the great faith enterprises, such as was under Wesley or George Mueller's orphanages, or Bishop Taylor's work in India and Africa. See how thousands of times in these men's lives they had to consent to eternal failure in the eyes, not only of the world, but in the eyes of the philosophers, the churches, the ministers, the renowned ecclesiastics. Note their solitary, their solitary struggles in prayer their solitary mountain peak convictions, the lofty possibilities that they saw no one else, that they saw things no one else could see. See how they surpassed all the lawmakers in their law, outstripping the college professors in their teaching, eclipsed earthly bankers in their handling of money, how they put to shame the idleness and shiftlessness and unbelief in the majority of Christians around them. And in order to achieve such great results, they had constantly to lie in the dust, to bear criticism, coldness, contempt from those from whom they expected help I can tell you from my own experience there is nothing more painful than for a man to be laid in the dust and as he's laid in the dust and humbled before God to have the very ones that he would expect to rally around instead condemn and run. I've experienced that more than one time. It is that criticism, coldness, contempt, and over and over again in my heart, I've had to say, Amen, Lord, to my utter failure. It's hard for me to come to the radio today because I am utterly today laid in the dust the dust of failure I look at the results 
of this radio broadcast, I look at the results at the National Prayer Chapel, and all I can do is lift up my hands to the Lord and say, Lord, amen to perfect failure. Revival has not come. Do you really want just Jesus or do you want your lifestyle do you really want just Jesus or do you want your hobbies do you really just want Jesus or do you want your reputation your righteousness the respect of others Oh, my brother and sister, I can tell you today, I have wept much before the Lord. There is such a longing in my heart for Jesus. I've said to him, Lord, just let me die if you're not willing to save the lost. If if you've passed judgment on America then don't let me see it, Lord. Just take me out of here. I don't want to live if God will not send his Holy Spirit to change the hearts of men and women and draw them to himself. I'm sick of casual faith and religion. I'm sick of casual church. I'm sick of going to church and walking on eggshells. I'm sick of going to church and having that cold, hard edge. Never forget. My dad visited a mega church many years ago. And I asked him, How was it, Dad? He said, I had to strap on my ice skates before I could get down the main aisle. Everyone was concerned about themselves and their reputations. Everyone was concerned about their own social life. And there was no love. There was no milding of the heart. There were no tears. A whole sermon and not one person wept. He said, I sat... Listening to that sermon and tears were running down my face. My nose was running. He said, everybody around me was looking at me like I was some kind of crazy man. He said, I had to put my overcoat on to keep warm. There was no fire of God in the house. I've experienced that so many times. I'm sick of it. I can't go on with that kind of religion and that kind of faith. Can you? Can you continue the way you are now? I can't. For me, it's brokenheartedness over criticism, coldness, contempt from those I expected to be the closest and to see the crisis, and to rally around. And instead, they fled. I'm brokenhearted over them, 
but I know it's not me. I know it's it's the coldness of heart. It's the immaturity. I can't stand that kind of church. And I have to tell you, God has set a fire in the National Prayer Chapel. Now, it's not a large fire because there aren't a lot of people. But God has set a fire in that National Prayer Chapel. And there is such warmth and love and compassion flowing. And there is such incredible sacrificial giving where no man claims anything as his own but freely brings to the altar that which is necessary that God can have his way. I'm seeing something happen at the National Prayer Chapel that I've prayed for for years. And God is finally doing it. If you want to see a burning fire, come to the prayer chapel and you'll see it. And my heart has had to say, Amen, to failure in the eyes of people I love, failure to my family, failure to many at the prayer chapel. And the gossip is wild. <laughs> there are two instances in Scripture where this also happened. Remember the story of Esther? She became the queen. Beautiful, beautiful Esther filled with grace and beauty wise beyond her beyond her age anointed by the holy spirit and haman comes and wants to utterly destroy the jewish people and he pays a huge amount of money to the king for the right to destroy the jews in the whole kingdom of babylonia Mordecai reads the edict and he goes out in the city square and he tears his clothes and he rubs his face in the dust. He's a total failure. And he's weeping and the dust is turning to mud. He's a mess. And word comes to Esther about what Mordecai is doing. And she sends to him one of the king's eunuchs, not one of her servants, but the king's eunuch. And he goes and he tries to lift Mordecai up. And Mordecai says, no, 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 weeping. And the eunuch says, I have to take Esther a report. What shall I tell her? Well, tell her that there's an edict to kill all of the Jewish people and ask her please to go before the king and plead for mercy for the Jewish people 
Esther sends a message back in Esther, the fourth chapter, verse 11. All the king's officials and the people of the royal promises know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that person be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Mordecai hears these words, and he says back to her, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Now hear me. Because of your pride, you can run. And you can refuse to sacrifice your life for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But revival will come through someone else, and you will lose your place in the kingdom of heaven. You and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you came to royal position for such a time as this. And Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, and it makes me weep as I read it. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. As Christians in the culture today, we are no longer going to be in the presence of God protecting our reputations, living our comfortable royal lives. For the people of God are slated to be destroyed by the new world order and the wickedness of our culture. And frankly, the destruction is already almost complete because God's people have been put to sleep and dumbed down so that we do not say, if I perish, I perish, but I will follow Jesus. Instead, we have our little independent deal going, our own little independent feelings, our own little independent judgments, One man said to me, I'm not leaving the church. I am the church. You can't beat the church out of me. He's right. There must be a radical group of people who with maturity and love will say, if I perish, I perish. But I will stand for Jesus Christ and for revival 
and for a new work of God among his people. If I perish, I perish. That heart agreement to perish that agreement to die and be buried in disgrace was the key that unlocked the prison door that let a whole nation go out into liberty there was the secret of power the church today has no power to stand against the devil the flesh and the world because we are unwilling to perish for Jesus Christ. We're unwilling to lay it all down. Instead, we're shallow and twisted and self-righteous. There has to be a change. We're not getting the job done. Righteousness does not rule the day. Self-righteousness rules the day. Humility does not rule the day. Pride rules the day. Laying in the dust of failure is anathema. And don't you see that the whole church today in America has been laid in the dust of God's judgment? I'm not the only one today who must confess I am a failure. If you're honest with me, you will also confess that you are a failure. because you are not burning with fire for Jesus Christ. And that makes you a failure. But the dust is uncomfortable. It might even turn to mud with our tears. What are you willing to do about this? When the great monarch of Babylon rebuked the three Hebrews for not worshiping his image, they responded, Be it known unto you that we shall not bow down to your image. The God that we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if not, we will not bow down to your image. The secret of power lay in the expression, but if not. If we live by faith and walk with God, there will be many times in our lives when similar tests will confront us and similar furnaces blaze for our destruction. And to go through unscorched, we must carry that great, but if not, in our hearts. The real value of our work we do for God can often be measured by the amount of difficulties in the way of doing it, or else by the effort Satan makes to destroy it after it's done. (laughs) 
So have you bowed down to the image of your own self-righteousness? Have you bowed down to the comfortableness of the American royal culture? Have you bowed down to the abortion? Have you bowed down to being judgmental and self-righteous? Have you run? When will you stop running? Once you start running, it's hard to stop because the fiery furnace is there waiting for you. In the book of Revelation, Satan stood to devour the man-child as soon as he was born. This is true of every work of God. If you receive a great blessing from the Holy Spirit, Satan will soon try to destroy or pervert it If you have a glorious meeting or convention or revival, Satan will find human tools, oftentimes within the church, to blast or lie or to check the gracious work if possible. And they will come as angels of light. Oh, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm right. And they could not be more wrong, but they will deceive many. And then people take hardened decisions and positions and it seems there is nothing that can change their minds they're running they refuse the fiery furnace they believe the lies in such seasons the true servant of God must consent to the seeming failure of his labors and at the same time go right on working and commit the work to the absolute care of God. This is where we are. And I'm wondering what you want to do. What is your decision? Do you care about what God feels? Or do you only care about your own heart and your own reputation and what you want? It's a very serious thing to pass judgment on someone, especially when the facts are not known. It's very serious in the eyes of God. I want to take you back to Queen Esther on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's table and the king was sitting at his royal throne in the hall he was facing the entrance Imagine how fast Queen Esther's heart was beating. And she was saying to herself, If I perish, I perish. 
please may I ask you, what happened in your life that you would go to the Lord Jesus Christ and position yourself in such a way that you would say, if I perish, I perish. But I will, like Moses, lay my life down if the Holy Spirit does not come and bring a change in my life and in the lives of my people. Where you're willing to walk away from the television, you're willing to walk away from the entertainment of the cell phone and the internet you're willing to walk away from everything that the holy spirit has been checking in your life and you're finally willing to say look i am just going to follow jesus i'm not going to follow anyone else or anything else i will follow jesus christ and i will wait on him to melt my heart I will wait upon him to fill my heart with love and compassion and mercy for the lost. Some of you today listening to this broadcast have absolutely no concern in your heart for anyone who is not a follower of Christ. Some of you have never won one person to Jesus Christ in your whole life. And yet you think you're saved. Where's the evidence that you're saved? Are you going to lift up your self-righteousness and say, Oh, this is how I know I'm saved? Are you kidding me? No. The casualness of the American royal life is going to have to be laid aside, and you are going to have to fast and pray, and you're going to have to go before the throne of Jesus. And you're going to have to say, if I perish, I perish. But I will not settle for anything less than being set aflame for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will no longer trust in my own self-righteousness, in my own reputation. I will no longer trust in anything of the flesh. I will trust in Jesus The king looked up and he saw Queen Esther standing there. There must have been such an expression on her face that it touched him in the deepest place of his soul. And the scriptures simply say he was pleased with her. If you stood today before the throne of God, would he say, I am pleased with this person? He held out to her the gold scepter. The whole court must have gone absolutely into panic as the queen, violating the law, stands before the king, for they're terrified that she will be executed. But he is pleased with her. Oh, my brother, my sister, all I want in my life is that Jesus would be pleased with me, and I will do whatever he tells me to do, whatever it looks like to you. Whether you choose to criticize and condemn, whether you choose to judge and gossip, it doesn't matter. I will do what Jesus has told me to do, and I will put my trust in his deliverance. 
will you? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. If you would like to contribute to keeping this broadcast on the air, I ask please don't wait until the end of the month when we're in a a hard place. I'm asking, would you give as the Holy Spirit prompts you either on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, click the donate button, or in this time of a struggle at the National Prayer Chapel, would you give to cover this broadcast? Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195? That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Almighty God, I've spoken your word faithfully and honestly. If I perish, I perish. I look to you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.